0: Uh, I'd like to welcome all of you to the gathering of Redemption Hill Church. So my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of our pastors. And um, just to go ahead and and kind of put it out there, uh, many of you, probably in fact most of you know that uh, I uh, was rather sick over the past couple of weeks. So um, right after our anniversary celebration, which was uh, in my book one of the greatest Sundays we've ever had as a church, I would Uh, Mark it down in my kind of brief pastoral career, uh, which is six years. Um, It's just one of the greatest Sundays, the most enjoyable Sundays for me personally, serving Redemption Hill. Um, To see what God has done over these past six years is amazing. And to see how God is growing our church, not just in number, uh, but in depth and health. uh, So, so encouraging. Uh, The Jazz Brunch was amazing. Thank you to everyone that executed that and made it happen. Um, So fun to talk about the Ripple Project. So um, if you missed that, go back and listen. We'll we'll, we'll link it on Facebook this week. But um, the Lord put a dream uh, in my heart that really has started years ago. Uh, We've always talked about how amazing would it be. We're obviously a a mobile church, meaning we don't own our own facility, so we meet here renting from the theater on Sundays. But uh, we've always said how great would it be to have a community meeting space where we can, uh, you know, have 24-7 access to do whatever we want to do be a ministry hub and you know serve our church and serve our city and uh, and so you know an opportunity popped open it looked like maybe you know we could step into it that didn't work out uh, but but what happened was God really clarified the vision in, in my heart and the heart of our pastoral team and uh, and we were also convinced that we would need some additional funds uh, outside of just our, our normal financial ministry plans aka budget to make it happen and so I felt very clearly from God that he wanted me to reach out out to about a hundred of my friends uh, to say, "Hey, uh, here's the dream. I know that you're going to want to be a part of this. I don't care if you sacrifice a cup of coffee, if you pay for a week's rent. Um, I'm believing that God's going to put up some some big number here. And uh, over less than 30 days, um, God provided over thirty-two thousand um, dollars for uh, this this future opportunity. So now we get to pray for it. We get to seek God for it. We get to see more." financial provision, roll in, and it's just going to be amazing. So that, that Sunday was so, so encouraging, I think, not only for me, but hopefully everyone that was here. Um, and then by the end of the jazz brunch, I was not feeling well, and I went to the pastor and I said, look, I've got to get out of here. I told Marcia, she already knew, because I was in serious pain the night before, God's grace that I was even here that morning. And, uh, and then sure enough, we went to the ER, Winchester Hospital, I was there for five days, appendicitis, and... Um, that was that. So um, just wanted to say this to you. Um, I've obviously had a, when you're, when you're laying on your back for two weeks, you have plenty of time just to, to, to relax and rest, which many of us need that, right? Uh, but you also have some time to think about, uh, you know, the, the, the more important things in life, who God is, how God is working. And I can't tell you uh, how many times I was overwhelmed, uh, truly to the point of tears, Because of how God was loving me through people who were loving me. And I hope you didn't miss that. Because I truly believe that every text message, every, you know, visit, every meal that's been brought to our family, every person that's prayed, hey, Tanner, Pastor Tanner, praying for you. All of that was God working through you uh, to pour out his love toward me in overwhelming ways. And, And that's part of the beauty of the church. Man, um... You know, some people hate on the church these days. I'm just saying, man, God's up in the church. And if he's in us as people, he is working in awesome and even miraculous ways. And so I just, I've been the recipient of that and been super humbled and grateful for how uh, you have been the church to me and you have loved me. And uh, that, that's always a two-way street, right? It's not just pastors and leaders pouring out, but it's all of us together. And, and one other side note, I just want to say this, um, we are who we are as a church, clearly not because of one person, all right? Um, That's why we operate in a leadership team. We have multiple pastors. So, you know, I really wanted to be here last weekend. In fact, I considered it. Um, but, you know, against, you know, my worst judgment and the wisdom of others, and then, yeah, I decided, hey, I just need to rest. Um, but, man, I knew that this church is in great hands because we have great a leadership team and uh, I would say even beyond that, and perhaps even more importantly, uh, Redemption Hill, we are who we are because of you. And so we've said from the very beginning that this church will only thrive because not just because of uh, some, some leaders who are seeking after God, but because of this whole group of people known as Redemption Hill who are seeking after God. And so God can take me out of the game, not just for a weekend, but he can take me out for good, and I'm confident that this church is going to continue to march forward. All right? So thank you for following him, and for continuing on in what he has called us to. All right, I better pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 John chapter 2, okay? So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 1021. All right, so let me pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you so much for how you pour out your love toward us. God, you shed your love abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And Father, it truly is overwhelming. When we see clearly, God, when we hear from you clearly, when we truly understand all of the things we've already saying about this morning, that Jesus is our defense, he is our righteousness, he is our access to you, he is everything we need for life and godliness, he is the, the treasure that we were always looking for. God, you've given us everything when you gave us your son. And so for that, God, we say thank you. And God, we rejoice in, in who you are today. We rejoice in your work among us, and we only pray that it would continue, and it would multiply and rapidly expand, and not only in our, in our own hearts, God, but in the hearts of hundreds, thousands of those around us who certainly need to know the truth of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, uh, as we get into 1 John chapter 2 today, uh, it is, it is a, just a very clear message that Echoes the teaching of Christ when we're going to see that really, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus, people are okay, either in or they are out. All right, there there is no kind of one foot in in this thing and then kind of one foot out. and, And you know, like I've had friends, and man, I love them, and it's my job to kind of help them see, right? But I've had so many friends, like, yo, Tanner, I need some Jesus in my life. And that's, a, that's, a honest, that's an honest statement, right? That's a, that's a statement that I can appreciate, right? Um, it shows that God's working in their lives, but, but ultimately what they have to discover and, and what God probably wants to use me and, and you to help our friends who think like that see is that uh, we don't just need some Jesus in our life. Like, we need Jesus to be our life, right? Like, we need Jesus in all things to uh, totally bring us into the life that he desires for us. And so as we get into 1 John chapter 2, what we're going to see is that John is echoing the very teaching of Jesus when he would say things like this. Okay, so if you're, just, if you're new to Christianity, all right, um, a lot of times we have this picture of Jesus that, you know, man, he is, he is like all love. And sometimes how that's translated is like he's so loving that he, does, he just kind of like lets me do whatever I want to do. Um, but but he is all love, okay? That's true. But his love leads us to a certain kind of life that is following him in radical ways. And so he would say in Luke chapter nine, he says like, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's going to find it. Luke chapter fourteen, verse thirty three. If any of you does not renounce all that he has, he can't be my disciple. Whoa. So this this isn't an all-out commitment. It is an all-in commitment. There is no room for neutrality when it comes to the person of Christ. And so I just feel compelled to share that from the start, okay? Most of the sermon intros aren't so like, boom, in your face, here we go, this is what's up, all right? But, but, but today I feel compelled because that is the, the tone of 1 John chapter 2. We're, we're, we're in with Jesus, we're anointed by him, we're going to talk about that, or we are against Jesus, we are anti-Christ. And so as we read these verses, I want you to consider, where, where are you? Where are you in this journey? We all have a spiritual journey, right? All have a spiritual journey. And and probably many, most of you have have started this journey with Jesus, but maybe perhaps some of you, you're considering, man, do I really want to go all in with him? And then for those of us who are uh, following him, we need to be reminded of the life that he's called us to and how amazing and satisfying it is. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read verses 18 through 27 of 1 John chapter 2. Here we go. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but that they went out they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us but you have been anointed by the holy one and you all have knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, remain in you, dwell in you, continue in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too, will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as, as it has taught you, abide in him. So two very simple, I hope clear thoughts for us to consider this morning. One has to do with the reality of false teachers who are teaching things that oppose or deny Jesus, but then the reality of those who are locked in with Jesus and following him, he is giving confidence to those who are hearing this letter read saying, hey, you need to continue in what you've heard because you are on the right track. And so, the first encouragement for this is for us this morning is simply to watch out for false teaching that opposes Christ. Watch out for false teaching that opposes Christ. Okay, this is not just a first century problem, though we're going to talk about the first century, okay, but it is a November 4th. Today is November 4th, right? I've kind of been off the grid a bit. Um, thank you. All right, but uh, yeah, and November 4th, 2017, 5th. Dad, so I need him help today. I'm telling you, like, Lord, not in a persuasive word of wisdom, but in a demonstration of your power. Thank you. Um, That's 1 Corinthians, thank you. Yeah, chapter 2. Um, to November 5th, problem. Well, somebody pray, pray for pray for a pastor, all right? I'm going to need it today. I'm going to need it. <laughs> um, so, 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 so what's happening here, okay? Verse 18 is a notoriously difficult verse to understand. In fact, books and much commentary has been written on this topic of Antichrist without consensus. And so we see here two things, all right? Number one, John says that Antichrist is coming, and what it seems is that there is probably going to be a a figure that really raises himself up against Christ at the end of the age. None of us know when that is, by the way, because when John's saying the last hour, I believe with others that he's talking about this age between the first coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus, okay? So this is all the last like John could say in the first century, it's the last hour, and I think we today in the 21st century can say, hey, we're in the last hour. But John is saying that there is going to be one that I think Paul is calling in Titus too, the man of lawlessness, all right? Revelation is talking about the, the Antichrist coming um, that is going to oppose Jesus in very stark ways, and there's going to be such a deception involved in that that people are going to think, hey, maybe this is, maybe this is the Christ, but he is, uh, in reality, Antichrist. He is deceiving people from the true worship of Jesus. But at the same time, it's not just one figure, but it is the spirit of Antichrist that was already at work in John's day and continues to be at work in our day. And so as one uh, pastor put it, this is what he said, "The, the essence of the Antichrist spirit is to deny that Jesus was the Christ or to deny that the Christ was fully incarnate in Jesus The spirit of Antichrist does whatever it can to diminish Christ and substitute other views or other persons for the true incarnate Son of God. And so there are only, check this out, there are only four times that the word Antichrist is used in the New Testament, and they're all used by this one man named John, who was one of Jesus' earliest and most closest followers. He uses it twice here in chapter two, and then he goes on in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. We'll get there in a few weeks. And he says, Every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God, this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard is was coming, and now it is in the world already. And so at one level, listen, anyone who rejects Jesus, even if that's you today, just to be just to be frank, just to shoot straight, okay? Um That is the spirit of Antichrist. You have the spirit of Antichrist. If you have not fully embraced Jesus, if you have denied him in any way, that's the spirit of Antichrist. And then in 2 John, verse 7, only one chapter in 2 John, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So So what Paul is I mean sorry, what John is doing here is he's trying to help these followers of Jesus understand that there are going to be false teachers, and this is what surprises us, I think, not coming from outside of the walls of the church, but actually rising up from within the life of the church that are saying things about Jesus that is not true and so some have speculated that these false teachers were um, accepting a view that is is called Gnosticism. In other words, Gnostics claimed that there was a special knowledge that only a select group of people had. And what the Gnostics believed about Jesus was that he was not the eternal son of God who became man, but he was merely a man who then probably at his baptism received the Spirit and became the Son of God for that season. And then probably before he died on the cross, the Spirit left him. So this is what, is, is known theologians would call, the, a view of adoptionism. It's a Christological heresy, okay, that Jesus was adopted as the Son of God at his baptism, but he was not the eternal Son of God who created all things and who lived a perfect life, died as the Son of God for us for our sin, and it rose as the Son of God forever to reign as the Son of God. So this was the false teaching that was happening there, and John calls them liars. And again, this was not just, you know, happening in 70, 80 AD. This happens today. There are many false religions and cults and and even Christian churches that slip into false doctrine, false teaching. And so let me just give you a bit of a, a rundown of some of the more familiar that we need to understand what people believe. Even sometimes, listen, let's be charitable, right? Let's be loving. Sometimes, all right, this can happen in Redemption Hill. Sometimes people are in a, what we would call a cult, and they don't even know it. They don't even know that what they believe is different than what we believe, right? It's very deceptive. It's very tricky. But here are a few. I mean, one that hits home here in Boston, uh, Christian science. It's a movement that says Jesus was a man who was in tune with the divine consciousness, but not the Christ. Jesus was not the Christ. What about Islam? They say that Jesus is a created being, okay, not the creator, not, not God, just a mere prophet. Then you have Jehovah Witnesses who would say that uh, Jesus, like Islam, that Jesus was created, not the creator, he was created, and they go on to say that he was the archangel Michael incarnate. And then finally, Mormonism or the Church of Latter day Saints. They also say Jesus is a created being. But they say that Jesus is the half brother of Satan and of all of us. Again, created, not the creator, not the eternal Son of God. But it's not just those, what we would say false religions um, that, that don't have a true understanding of the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's not just false religions or cults, but there are also false teaching that creeps up in the church today. And I think, I mean, just, you know, there, there, there are certainly uh, more than one form of false teaching, but to share one that can be very uh, easily accepted and materialistic America, okay, and often what we'll see on TV from kind of, you know, tele-evangelists are what is known as the health and wealth gospel, which is no gospel at all. You see, what the health and wealth gospel would say is that Jesus um, wants everyone to be healthy and wealthy in such a way that if Someone is uh, ever sick, then it must be a result of their lack of faith because if they had enough faith, then they wouldn't get sick. Or a a variation of that would be like, hey, if you just give a little bit of money, if you just kind of sow your seed and give money to this ministry on TV or this church then what's going to happen is man God is going to see that and he's going to bless you tenfold. You give a thousand he's going to put 10,000 in your pocket. You give you give 10,000 he's going to put 100,000. He's going to put a million in your pocket because God wants us all to be wealthy. This is no gospel at all. It doesn't square with Christ. It doesn't square with Christianity. You see, Jesus happened to be a man who often had no place to lay his head. He was born of humble circumstance. With hum- he was born in a manger, like in a, in a, in a, in a cattle trough. <laughs> so much for the health and wealth gospel. I mean, Jesus was not a wealthy man. He was a humble man who showed us how to become rich through his poverty. Thank you, Jesus. Amazing. And the same is true about suffering and, and, and health. Um, what do we do with the cross? Like, if, if if the Son of God suffered, bled and died the most despicable and shameful death, like, what do we do with the claims? Like, oh, just, did Jesus not have enough faith? Did the Apostle Paul not have enough faith when he's pleading with God, hey, remove this thorn in my side, pleaded with God three times? And what, is, what does God say? My grace is sufficient for you. Not, hey, you have faith, I'm gonna heal you every time. And listen, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to heal us. Thank thank God I'm healed. Through through prayer, through medicine, I am I am much more healthy than I was two weeks ago. Okay. Um, but, 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 and I'm not saying, man, we, we often pray, man, God, bless, bless the people of Redemption Hill help them to flourish in their job as they serve others and as they serve you, and man, we pray that you get promotions and raises, and you know, if anyone's going to have a lot of money, why not it be followers of Jesus that are hopefully going to actually do something positive with it and be generous, all right, but this kind of health and wealth gospel, it's a, it's a false teaching. So we need to be on guard. We need to Listen with careful ears. Another, just real quick, another kind of variation of this is what is known as legalism. Some of the more kind of uh, fundamental churches that um, would would say, listen, like Jesus accepts you, but you need to do X, Y, and Z to truly be accepted by God. And if you're not doing all of these things, and if you're not kind of keeping all of these extra rules and regulations, then you know what, man, You, you probably are not in step with God like you need to be. And so anything, listen, anything that adds to what Christ has done or detracts, subtracts from what Christ has done is false teaching. It is not the gospel. And so just as the the church in the first century needed to be on guard, so we need to be on guard today. And let me just look back at verse 19 here. I love how John words this. so helpful. He says that they went out from us. Okay, so these people were part of the church. They went out from them because they were not of us. In other words, these these false teachers weren't really trusting in Christ in a saving way, trusting in his sufficient work alone. And so they left. They went out because they weren't truly saved. They weren't truly part of the family of God. And, And he goes on, and this language is so helpful. He says, for if they had been part of us, they would have continued with us. And so here, we have to understand this. Okay, we get this question all the time. Um, We're going to talk about our covenant class tonight. Please come if you haven't ever been to our covenant class that explores really more about the mission and vision of Redemption Hill. But but to be in Christ, to be saved by Christ, is a work of his grace alone. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And to continue in the faith is a work of his grace alone. And so what I mean is this, if if someone is truly in Christ, they will continue with Christ because Christ is in them. In other words, some people say it like this, and I don't love it, but some people will say, once saved, always saved. And now that's technically theologically true, but it has some dangerous connotations. Why is that? Because a lot of people say, well, if I was saved and I prayed a prayer, then you know what? I'm good to go. My ticket to heaven is punched and now I can just live however I want to live. But the teaching of the New Testament is not really once saved, always saved, although that is true, but it is if you are in Christ, then abide in him, continue in him, keep marching forward by his grace that he gives you. So I just got to dwell here for a minute because this is a huge question that we get a lot. And if, if you don't understand this, it's going to cause a lot of angst in your walk with God. You know what I'm saying? Because somebody's going to blow it this week. Somebody's going to sin. Somebody's going to return to a porn addiction this week. Well, let's, God, God, may that not happen. But I'm just saying, I'm just, somebody's going to lose their temper. They're, they're going to have broken relationships. Does does that break my relationship with God? John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking of his sheep. And in verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Jesus says, I give them. If you're in Christ, he says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. They will never die. And then he says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you hear that? No, like, if you are in Christ, I'm about to get preaching. No one can touch you. But that's not all. That's not all. No one will snatch them out of my hand, the hand of Jesus, and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You're doubly secure. If you are in Christ, you are in the palm of Christ's hand and the Father has his hand over you and no one or nothing can touch you. Romans puts it like this. Paul in Romans chapter eight, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's rhetorical. Neither life nor death nor angels nor demons, nor the powers of the present age or the future age. Nothing can touch you. You are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. We are so secure. If we are his sheep, if we belong to him, if we are in Christ, there is nothing that will take away our salvation. And yet, let me not miss Colossians chapter 1. Because here we have Paul talking about, Paul was one of the earliest, you know, followers, leaders in the church. And, and so in in verse 21, he's talking about these, these like gospel realities, how amazing the work of God is that Jesus has saved us. And, and, but, but listen, he says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That, that was our disposition and attitude toward God. But he is now reconciled in his body, he's reconciled you by his death. And why has he done that? He's done it in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. But look at verse 23. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, do you hear that? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, so the, 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 the clear teaching of the Bible is that, yes, we are protected and we are kept by God, but all those who are protected by God and kept in Christ will continue by his grace following his ways. When we blow it, we see it, and we are sorry for it, and we say, God, forgive us. Help me to move forward in a way that honors you more. That's the Christian life. And so as we think about this idea of people opposing Jesus and hanging on to different false teachings, the main question is is this. Have you, have, have you, this is a person I'm asking you right now to ask yourself, have you accepted Christ? Have you embraced Christ with your life, his work for you and his perfect life, his cruel death, his resurrection, everything that he did, living the life that we should have lived, dying the death that we should have died so that if we trust in him, we can have his life. We can move from death to life. We can move from darkness to light. And so have you done that, friends? Like have you stepped into the life of Christ? Because if you if you have not embraced Christ yet, you have denied him and you are anti-Christ. But that can change in a moment. It's changed like if anyone is in Christ, that moment has come for them. Like there has been a, a time where they stepped into the life of Christ. And it's so simple. It's it's like I shared. I shared a story of D- Steve DiPrizio two weeks ago. I was sharing with Stephen, and I just like this is what we teach kids down in Redemption Kids. It's as simple as ABC. Admit to God that you need him. Admit to God that your sin has separated you from him, that the relationship is broken and it needs to be fixed. And how that is fixed is through, be believing in Jesus and what he has done on your behalf that you can never do for yourself. And then after you believe in him, part of that belief is committing to follow him all the days of your life. No neutrality. We're all in with him. Admit, believe, commit. And if you need to do that today, the invitation is wide open. You can do it right now. You can say, hey, I need you, Jesus, I want to follow you, I am all in. You can say that in your heart right now and mean it, and God will give you life and make you new. And this is is what John goes on to say. He says it in verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. God offers us all eternal life through Jesus, and that eternal life, here's mind blown, is that that eternal life starts right now. The quality and the reality of eternal life starts the moment someone follows Jesus. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life. Eternal life does not happens when you die. Okay, although that will usher you into His presence for eternity. Okay, but eternal life happens right now. It's good news. So let's be on guard. Let's watch out for false teachers who would oppose Christ in any way, adding to his work, subtracting to, from his work, subtracting from who he is. Jesus is fully God, fully man, the, the God-man. Let's watch out for them. But then, number two, and I'm really excited to share this with you, Right? We also receive the anointing of the Spirit of truth. You see, see, John is juxtaposing those who are anti-Christ with those who have been anointed by Christ. And he, he says this starting in verse 20. He, he says that you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. In other words, you have heard the truth about Jesus and you have believed in him. And so this has come to you because of this anointing and the language of anointing in John, 1 John chapter 2 is all about the spirit of God showing us who Jesus is, opening our blind eyes to see him and now giving us life that we are responding to him saying, hey, Jesus, you are amazing. You are the one I'm looking for. I am committing my whole life to following you in every single way. That's the anointing. The Spirit leads us into truth. There's no secret or special knowledge, okay, that only the Gnostics have. But no, this truth has been made known. It has been revealed through Jesus Christ. And those who follow him now communicate that to others. And so John's encouragement for us, look, look, look in, in verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so here, here, let me just kind of sum it up like this. There is one faith in Christ. The book of Jude, the little letter of Jude, again one chapter, it would say there is a faith once for all delivered to the saints. Saints are just followers of Jesus, okay? So there is a Faith that has been delivered once for all, and that faith is one faith and never changes. Okay, we call that orthodoxy. We call that uh, healthy teaching, healthy doctrine that leads to worship. And and so as we, we think about this faith that's once for all delivered to us, John is saying what you heard when you heard the good news about Jesus and what he has done for you, you stay right there. You abide in that teaching. You don't move away from that teaching. You just go deeper into that very teaching because that teaching has given you life, and that teaching is going to continue to give you life. We abide in what we heard. It's the apostles' teaching. In Acts chapter 2, the early church, what do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles' teaching? The apostles were teaching what Jesus taught them. That's why we keep coming back to this book, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. God has revealed himself to us in the words of the Bible, so we keep coming back to the Bible. We keep abiding in what we heard from the beginning. This past week, on October 31st, most of you were probably thinking about it as Halloween, right? Did anyone get dressed up? Adults, did any adults get dressed up? Man, we, we, we knocked on some doors and, man, some of our neighbors, I'm like, wow, I can't believe the people that live on the, the street adjacent to us. I'm um, just like, I really need to get to know them because they are some interesting uh, people uh, with their <laughs> outfit. I mean, just uh, awesome. Um, but, but, you know, Halloween is October 31st, but there's a more significant reality about October 31st. October 31st was the day uh, in 1517, 500 years ago, when uh, there was... 95 theses nailed to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And most historians would say, hey, that marked the beginning of the Reformation. And what is the Reformation? Well, the Reformation is all about this man named Martin Luther, who with others was seeing corruption and deception within the Catholic church. And they were saying, hey, and don't miss this, we want to reform the church. So so the goal of the reformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, many others, um, was not to start a new church. That was never the goal. The goal was to reform the church, to bring the church back to what they had heard from the beginning. So it's kind of a shame that Protestants are called Protestants and not reformers because, yes, there was protest in the the, the, the charge for reformation, but what they were doing was hoping just to return the church to its purest form according to the Scriptures. And so Luther and the reformers were known for what uh, what, what came to be known as the five solas of the Reformation. Okay, they are sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the sole authority. Okay, so so scripture alone. If if any man, including the Pope, if any church tradition even one of our own at Redemption Hill, okay, if if even our reason uh, contradicts scripture, then we always side with scripture. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in terms of sources of authority. But it's not just scripture alone, but it's sola fide, that we experience salvation by faith alone. And we experience that salvation by faith alone, by God's grace alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That is what the Reformation was all about. You see, they were seeing these different practices, like the selling of indulgences. And indulgences were actually, this is, this is crazy, okay? Um, thankfully, we don't do this at Redemption Hill, okay? might bump up the offering. But, but the church was saying in that day, like, hey, if you will give a payment then you can have some of your sins absolved or removed or forgiven. What a marketing strategy, huh? You want to talk about playing on people's like we have all sinned, we have all blown it, so if that is the reality, then we all be better paying up. This is how they built St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Make you want to cuss. <laughs> I mean, just really, like, how? How could they, how could they have done this? And so Luther and, and, and friends were trying to bring people back to, this is, this is in, in no way um, we're earning or working for our salvation through an indulgence or any other act, any other sacrament, but it is, as we sang justification by faith through grace in Christ alone. That was what the Reformation was all about. So we abide in the word. We remain in what we have taught. But then also, also, John is saying, like these two go together, this anointing from the Spirit that leads us into truth is an anointing from God that is in all of us who follow Jesus and believe in him. And so look, look, look back at verse 27 again. He says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And that's not like John's letter would be self-contradictory if he's saying none of us need to be taught, okay? We all need to be taught what the apostles were teaching, right? I mean, so, so this very letter is, is teaching what he's talking about is you don't need to be taught these basic realities of who Jesus is as the son of God who died for your sin. That's contrary to the false teacher's. But then he goes on, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so I just want to take, before we wrap up, I want to take a few moments to help us understand what it looks like, what it means to be anointed by the Spirit of God. You see, anointing in the Old Testament, okay, the time before Jesus arrived, was that um, God instructed prophets, priests, and kings to be anointed with oil, and that was symbolic of God's presence resting on them and setting them apart for the task that God had given them to serve the people. And so anointing with oil was a sign of, like, consecration or being set apart, but then also it was a picture of empowerment and enablement for the very thing that they were called to do. Even the candlesticks in the temple that would, that would uh, be uh, burning continuously, they were obviously fueled by that oil that was the very life and the power for their light. And that is the same for us. Now that we have been anointed by God's spirit, we have been empowered to live the life that God has called us to live. And so everything that happens in our life, please don't miss this, okay? And sometimes, again, it's not just false teaching, but it's a lack of holistic teaching that can get churches in trouble or make them less than what they should be, okay? Sometimes Protestant churches don't do a good job teaching on the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be one of those churches, all right? So, so the Holy Spirit is everything to us. Let me say as clear as I can. We are who we are because of God, the Holy Spirit, doing His work in our lives. We are who we are. And so, check this out we would not step into the life of Christ if God didn't send His Spirit to give us life. We would not continue in the life of Christ if God didn't put His Spirit to dwell in us to live for Him every single day. We wouldn't bear bear any fruit for God, anything that resembles God, if God the Spirit wasn't causing us to show forth, shine forth the light of Christ by loving people, being kind, being patient, serving others, putting them before ourselves, practicing wisdom. And we wouldn't make it home apart from the Spirit helping us to continue on. And so let me just give you a rundown. This is not exhaustive, but just a, a list of 10 things that the Spirit enables us and empowers us to do. The Spirit enables us to discern truth, what we're talking about today. The Spirit enables us to testify to the truth. We'll see that at the end of 1 John. The Spirit enables us to pray. Like Whether you realize it, like, if you're calling out to God, it's because the, the Spirit of God in you is saying, cry out to God. He intercedes for us. He enables us to live a righteous life. He enables us to be strengthened with power in your inner being. We just sang that. Did did you hear those words you were singing? I may be weak, but your spirit strong in me. Come on now. That's good stuff. The Holy Spirit is strong in us. The Holy Spirit enables us to be led by God. The, The Holy Spirit enables us to live in joy for the kingdom of God. is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you. To live in hope, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit to receive spiritual gifts. Like if we are gifted in any way and if you are in Christ, you are gifted. All of those gifts are at work in you because the spirit of God is in you and your hope, all right, let me just be straight up. All right, I love being Like Your only hope of building someone else up, like truly influencing them spiritually to, to help them move forward, your only hope is the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you. Your only hope of bearing fruit for God, the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so as we wrap up, before I pray, I just want to r- remind us, okay, if you did not hear the sermon on September 3rd, I need you. I am asking you. If you even want to come back next Sunday, I would encourage you. Like this is your first time, by the way, we're glad you're here. Um, if this is your first time and you want to know what Redemption Channel is about, I would say go listen to the sermon from September 3rd. If you have been a part of Redemption Hill and you have heard us talk about September 3rd sermon and you still haven't listened to it, I need you to go back. If you heard it on September 3rd and you haven't listened to it twice, it might be good to go listen to it again. And why is that? It's because we want to be a church that is seeking more of God, even as we offer more of ourselves to him every single day. And so we looked at Jesus teaching his disciples to pray and the Lord's prayer is there and then this story about asking and seeking and knocking and then Jesus gives this uh, example and he says, look, um, if you who aren't perfect, he even says, if you who are evil, we have evil within us, we have similar, If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give, not just good gifts, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so may we be a church that is not antichrist in any way but is so locked in with Christ and anointed by Christ having his Holy Spirit in us that we're just saying, God, would you please pour out your Spirit in my life in such a way that I am growing, that I'm going deeper, that I am loving you more and other people more. If you, let me, I better, this is, this is tough for me to wrap up right now. All right, if, if you think if you think the Christian life is boring, you have no clue. If it was tough for you to come this morning, I'm glad you made it. Thank you. I'm so glad you came. But 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 there's something off. And listen, we've all been off. I've been off. But I'm just saying that, that God wants to do so much more in our lives than we can ever dream or imagine. And so could we just, could we just be a church that follows Jesus says, like, this is not a Sunday thing. This is an everyday thing. This is an every moment of everyday thing. Because the Spirit of God lives within us. He is changing us day by day. Like, it, when that happens in each one of us, This church is no longer the same, and guess what? This city is no longer the same. Let's pray for that. Let's go after that, as hard as we can, for the glory of God. God, thank you. God, thank you for how you work. God, thank you for the anointing of your spirit. Lord, help us. Help us to seek you more and more. God, we need you. We want you. God, I pray that you would move us to even cry out to you right now. God, may may not one man just be praying, but may, may, may 200 people be praying right now. God, we need you. We want you. We need more of you. in